you would please take your copy of the Word and turn to the book of Acts, chapter 13. And we're going to be reading verses 1 through 5 today as we continue to walk through the book of Acts. As you're turning there, um, we talked about last week that we were kind of at the, the end of one point in the book of Acts that the first 12 chapters largely focused on what was happening, happening in Jerusalem and Judea. Uh, we were largely looking at this message of Jesus resurrected that he told them, said, wait on the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit came at Pentecost. They preached. Folks got saved. The early church grew. They fellowshiped. They shared the word. They loved one another. And, and we saw how the early church was moving and growing and uh, even reaching out to the Samaritans and, and surrounding areas. But largely... The first 12 chapters focus on the Jerusalem church, focuses a lot on the Apostle Peter, uh, focuses a lot on um, just that area. Whereas now, from chapters 13 on, we begin to look at the, the movement of the gospel as it spreads even further. And this passage today is the beginning of what is known as Paul's first missionary journey. And so... Uh, Acts, now, the Bible never names it that. Uh, Acts never has a subtitle there. Anything you have in your Bible is something that the translators have put as a heading. But, but uh, it's generally recognized as Paul having three major missionary journeys. And so, um, not that he had never won anybody to the Lord, or not that he had ever, not ever done something um, of a missionary nature. He was already doing that kind of thing. But we see something different beginning here in Acts chapter 13. And so we're going to look today and see what was the foundation, what was the beginning of these missionary journeys that changed the world, that God used that the gospel may spread around the world, ultimately to folks like us who are half away, halfway around the world away and uh, two millennium away. So if you would please uh, stand with me now as we read Acts chapter 13. 13, beginning in verse 1. Among the prophets and teachers of the church at Antioch of Syria were Barnabas, Simeon called the black man, Lucius from Cyrene, Menaean, the childhood companion of King Herod Antipas, and Saul. One day, as these men were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Appoint Barnabas and Saul for the special work to which I have called them. So after more fasting and prayer, the men laid their hands on them and sent them on their way. So Barnabas and Saul were sent out by the Holy Spirit. They went down to the seaport of Seleucia and then sailed for the island of Cyprus. And there in the town of Salamis, they went to the Jewish synagogues and preached the word of God. John Mark went with them as their assistant. Let us pray. God, we come to you right now. And Lord, we pray that you would fill us with your strength and power, just as you did this earth. They were obedient. God, may we love you and serve you in that same way because God we know that you are certainly the same God the same yesterday today and forever we ask these things in the precious name of Jesus amen you may be seated 
What do we see here in these five verses? I want us to see five principles, five actions that were taking place in this early church uh, that really resulted in what happened. This is from from a human standpoint. First of all, we see seeking. There was a seeking taking place. There were five men there in the um, five leaders in this early church at Antioch. And we remember in this early church that it's the first place where people intentionally went and, and witnessed to people who were not Jews. They were not Samaritans who were half Jews. They were not Jewish converts. Uh, they intentionally went and and began to preach to the Gentiles. So this church had both Jews and Gentiles. And here we see five leaders who were all seeking the Lord in prayer. Now, let's talk a little bit about these leaders. If we could pull the map up on the screen. I want us to think about where each of them are from. I know that print is too small for you to read in the back. That's fine. But I hope you can get the picture, though, of this is the Mediterranean Sea. This is the eastern end of it. And so the the very bottom you see there would be Africa. And uh, the top is Turkey and then Greece. And then on the side uh, is where you see um, Palestine, Jerusalem, and Syria. So let's talk about where these guys are from here. First of all, there uh, there was Barnabas. And Barnabas was from this island right here. This is the island of Cyprus. And we'll talk about that island a little bit more in a minute. So you have him, and then you have uh, Simeon. Some translations say Niger, which simply in in the uh, Greek meant black. And uh, we'll come back to him in just a minute. And then there was Lucius from Cyrene. That would have been North Africa over here down at the bottom. Now, um, going back... Uh, to Simeon, there are many people who speculate, we're not for sure, but that Simeon is simply a different spelling uh, for Simon of Cyrene who carried the cross of our Lord. Um, We don't know for sure, but uh, we do know that Simeon, uh, if he was um, especially pointed out as having darker skin, that he would have been um, another African probably from even further south. So we have two Africans, one from North Africa, one probably from further south in Africa among these leaders. And then we have uh, a guy named Manaean, and it says he was a childhood friend of Herod. So he would have grown up around here between Jerusalem and Caesarea. Uh, he would have had... Uh, He would have probably been a noble person for him to mix and mingle with the family of Herod. He would have had a lot of political influence and such or grown up around it. And then finally, of course, there's Saul who was in Tarsus up here. So all these people from from this island of Cyprus, from North Africa and even further south, from here in Jerusalem, from up here uh, into what would be modern-day Turkey, and, uh, and they're all gathered up here in what would be modern-day Syria, in this city up here of Antioch. And there's not a dot, but if there was one right over here at the edge, would be where modern-day Aleppo that we hear about in the news all the time. This is the area, and, and by the way, Syria is mentioned all the time in the Bible. This, this country here right north uh, of Jerusalem, I mean right north of Israel, uh, it's very much in the history. It's very much part of the biblical record. Uh, you, you see Damascus mentioned 60 times in the Bible, and the city of Antioch is mentioned 20 times. So Syria is in the Bible a whole lot. 
All right, so we see those five men who were from all over that part of the Mediterranean world had all come together because God had brought them there uh, to Antioch. And the Bible tells us they were ministering, things were growing, people were getting saved, great things were happening. And, you know, it would be easy from a human perspective to say, okay, we're doing a good job. We're doing what we know we ought to be doing you know, we don't really need to seek the Lord much anymore because we're, we're, we're on a good path here. We've got momentum. We're on a roll. But these five men understood that just because I'm doing what God wants me to do today, it does not mean God doesn't have something new out there for me tomorrow. So the Bible says that they were seeking the Lord, that they were praying and fasting and looking for his direction. So as they did this, uh, verse 2 says, as as one day as these men were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, appoint Barnabas and Saul for the special work to which I have called them. Second, uh, the second principle we see here is a principle of sacrifice or submission. We're excited as we see this from our perspective that Barnabas and Paul who is still called Saul at this point, we're excited that they go on those missionary journeys, aren't we? Because we know if they don't go on those missionary journeys, the gospel wouldn't have ever spread and we would have never heard about Jesus. So we see this is a great thing. This is they go on these missionary journeys. But I want you to imagine what that early church that, that was just getting started, they barely knew much about God at all. They were learning, things were going great. And then all of a sudden, suddenly there are of their five main leaders, two are going to be leaving. Now, I imagine for Barnabas, this was not an easy thing to all of a sudden say, what's great here, what we're enjoying, what God is blessing, we're just going to walk away from. And we're going to do something totally different now because God has said it. And that took some sacrifice and some submission to the Lord on their part. But I want you to also think about the early church there at Antioch. How did they feel? How did they feel about Barnabas, who is this incredible encourager? How did they feel about Saul, who is this incredible teacher? Now they were leaving. That could not have been easy immediately. Don't, pay, don't just look at these people as, as people back in his history that, oh, that's just history, that doesn't matter. They're real flesh and blood people who are close to these people who have shared Christ, have lived with them, part of that deep Christian community. That was hard, folks. That was not easy. And yet that type of surrender on the part of the ones who are sent and surrender on the part of the ones who are letting go that has to happen in every Christian church, in every situation for a church to grow. It runs counter to our selfish, self-centered nature. Life is a lot of times tough and it's uncomfortable and we don't like it. And so when we do get to a place in life where things are comfortable and going our way, we start to dig in very, very quickly. And we don't like things to change once they're going our way, right? But it had to happen there. It has to happen now. 
But that resistance, when we don't do that, when we don't allow that, it keeps us from fulfilling God's work. Now, let's talk about this on a practical level. In the world today, how does this work? Let's say that Becky needs some teachers. And by the way, she could use a couple right now, one to assist in one class and one to be a substitute for another. But let's say in our children's ministry, there needs to be a a new teacher. Somebody has to sacrifice and leave that great fellowship, just like the great fellowship they had at Antioch, they have to leave their Sunday school class and say, for God's sake, for the sake of these children, I'm going to walk away for a good thing, for another good thing. And even though that other good thing is great, even though it's wonderful and there's blessings in heaven, guess what? The adults who walk away from their adult class, and even if it's, uh, even if it's only on a substitute basis or, or only a twice-a-month basis, guess what? They are truly sacrificing. They're leaving something behind so that they can do something for God's kingdom. What about when a Sunday school class starts to, to grow and they, they can't grow any bigger in the space they've got and there is no bigger space and then they've got to decide what are we going to do? We, we can stay, we can be selfish, we can hold on to what's comfortable in our little room that fits the people we have right now or we can start thinking about God would call us to launch out and start a new Sunday school class. And that is not going to be easy for the people who go, and it's not going to be easy for the people who stay. What about when new churches get started? People have to be willing to say, I'm going to reach out. I'm going to sacrifice to do something new. What about when people go to to the mission fields? Not only does a man or a woman or a couple or a whole family, sacrifice and leaving their home and going to a foreign place. But there have to be people back home, mom and dad and grandma and grandpa, who it's going to rip their hearts out when they move their family halfway across the world for the gospel's sake. Not only does that family have to be unselfish, but those back home have to be unselfish as well and say, We'll let you go. You see, this type of sacrifice that we see at the very beginning of Christian mission has not gone away. It is not any easier 2,000 years later to do the Lord's work, to reach out. Both those who go and those who stay must sacrifice, must submit themselves to God's plan so that more may know about the name of Jesus. There is the seeking of the Lord. There is the submitting. Then there is a sending. When we've got to that place, and it's an unfortunately rare place because we're often more selfish than we should be, but when we've gotten to that place where we say, yes, Lord, we say yes to you, we will go or we will stay and support you. When that point has has been given, we don't need to let this just go off without any notice. But there needs to be a special sending that takes place. They do this here. In verse 3 it says, So after more fasting and prayer, the men laid their hands on them and sent them on their way. 
Obviously, Luke doesn't have the time or the space to go into full detail. But the idea is that the body of Christ came together. And they didn't say, well, you're going, but we don't like it. And we're, we're begrudgingly letting you go. They said, you go with our blessing. They laid their hands on them. They prayed. They sent them out. We ought to do that same thing. One of the best ways we can do that is for those who teach in children and youth. Celebrate those teachers. If they should, were in your class or if they should be in your class and you don't even know what class they'd be in now because they've taught in children or youth for so long, you know what, you need to celebrate them. And you need to say, I know what you do. I know the sacrifice that you make. Thank you for giving to the Lord. And when someone makes that type of commitment, we as a church, and especially that class that they came out of, ought to say, thank you for what you're doing. We will miss you, but we're proud of you for making a sacrifice. And some of you are thinking, going to teach a teacher's class, that's a sacrifice? Try it. Try it if you don't think that's a sacrifice. It's a wonderful thing, but it's a sacrifice. And again, that same thing applies when we create a new Bible study group, when one class becomes two. It applies when, a new, when one church begins a new church. It applies when we send someone to the mission field. We ought to celebrate and send them off with the blessing of the Lord. Then we see, fourth, a strategy after the seeking and this sacrificing and sending, there is a strategy that is displayed. And you'll see Paul follow this strategy for most of his mission work. And we'll go into it in a lot more depth and detail later on in the coming weeks as we, as we go through and watch what God does in this early church. But in verse 4 it says, So Barnabas and Saul were sent out by the Holy Spirit. They went down to the seaport of Seleucia and sailed for the island of Cyprus. There in the town of Salamis, they went to the Jewish synagogues, and they preached the word of God. So what the Bible tells us is, here they were in Antioch, where if you're close enough, there's a star, but I'm shining it up in this corner right here. And then they go down to the seaport of Seleucia, and then they sail to Cyprus, and when they get there, their first stop is the city of Salamis. Now next week, we'll see they go to another city called Paphos. But there in Salamis... They begin their mission by following the strategy that they'll continue to follow throughout the book of Acts. And that is they go first to the synagogues and they present and they preach the gospel. Now why does Paul, who is the apostle to the Gentiles, that's how he's known, why would the apostle Gentiles of the Gentiles first go to a Jewish synagogue? There's several reasons. First of all, uh, what Paul says and other places in Scripture will say over and over again, Paul says the gospel is for the Jew first and then to the Gentiles. Think of it this way. If you're a Jew and you have been promised for hundreds and even thousands of years that there was a coming Messiah, should you not first hear the Messiah has arrived? Should you not hear that joyous news that the Messiah has come? The Abrahamic covenant was never done away with. God's hand and his blessing still remain on the descendants of Abraham. And so, 
It was to the Jew first, Paul said, and he would go there and he would preach. But also, this would have been uh, the place where he would have likeliest had a hearing. We'll talk more about it next week. But when you walked into a synagogue, there was generally an opportunity, if you were a trained teacher, if you were a Jewish man who had been trained in the laws, trained to teach, and as Paul or Saul, as he's still known, certainly was, then you would have had an open door to address the congregation. And so there was that open door. But third, and maybe not, uh, maybe not the last reason, but the last one we'll mention today is, this was the best place for Paul to find Gentiles, that is non-Jews, who were open to the gospel. Because in a synagogue, not only would you have Jewish men, but you would also have those who are proselytes who converted to Judaism, and you would also sometimes have God-fearers, that is, uh, Gentile people who believed in this God who had not yet completely converted to Judaism. And so imagine when these people were here. They looked at the pagan world around them. They were Greeks or Romans or whatever their nationality, but they had been part of the uh, Greek Empire and then later the Roman Empire. And they looked around at the world around them and the filth and the trash, and and they said there's got to be something more than all these so-called gods who just behave like spoiled, rotten human beings with superpowers. Maybe there's something more than this out there. And they came into contact with Jews who served one God, one God who was love and justice, one God, one true God above all else. And they said, this is the way. And they were there beginning to, they were hearing, they weren't stuck in their traditions like some of the Jews might have been. They were simply seeking to know God the best that they could. And so as the best that they knew how was to be in the synagogue. Imagine their response when Paul and Barnabas come in and they say, hey, what you've been learning about, about this Messiah who's promised, he has come. He is here now to save all people. That message met willing ears. It met a welcome response from those, not only certain Jews who are looking for their Messiah, but also the Gentiles who are seeking and searching something different from the world around them. And that was Paul's strategy. And finally, I want to talk about a fifth thing that we see here today, and that is serving. The very last sentence of verse 5 says, John Mark went with them as their assistant. And that can be translated server, helper, or a lot of different things. But in other words, John Mark wasn't the big head guy. He wasn't one of the ones that the Holy Spirit specifically called out and said, Saul and Barnabas, go on a trip. But John Mark was a young man who wanted to learn. And they took him along. And he becomes significant in church history for a lot of reasons later on. There's a big argument over him. But also we know that that he goes on to pen, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he writes the Gospel of Mark. What we see here is that Paul and Barnabas don't simply say it's enough to go along in the work. But they say, you know, 
need to train someone else up. We need to bring someone else along and help them to, to understand some of these things that, that we've learned. Let them watch, let them participate, and so that they will know how they can reach the world. One of the things I used to tell my dad while he was still living, I'd say, Dad, you know so much. You, you've got so much that, you've, that you know and that you can do. I said, you need to share this with some of these, these other guys that are in your church and, and, and around you because I would just look and I'd see, man, that's a shame. And, and I wish I'd lived closer to him. As, as long as I uh, was a minister or have been a minister, as long as he was alive, I only got to live close to my dad once in my adult life. And that wasn't for very long. I said, Dad, I've got so much to give. If you've been a Christian for any amount of time, you've got a lot to give. And you probably look at yourself and you probably say, well, you know, I'm not there yet. I haven't arrived. Well, you're right. You haven't arrived. I haven't arrived. None of us have arrived. But you're further along the journey than some others who are behind you. And the Bible tells us that we are to look for those reliable men, those reliable women who can listen and can learn and can be a part. And we're a little bit ahead of them. And we can teach them. And they can grow. This was John Mark. Later on, we know about Timothy. We know about Titus. And many other young men Apostle Paul discipled, and he told them this, this, to do the same thing. He told Timothy, you find some reliable men, and you share the things I share with you. Share them with others so that they may share. It's the process of discipling. The growth of Christianity is not all about people who are speakers, who are pastors or evangelists or prophets getting up in front of a large group and, and preaching the gospel. So much of it is about one man teaching another man, one woman teaching another woman, sharing, here's what the Christian journey, here's what the path, here's what it looks like. And so we see that type of service in training up others who will come behind us. It's a powerful picture about some people who we might say they're a ragtag group, they came from all over the ancient world, all sorts of different areas, all sorts of different backgrounds, and yet God pulled them together for one purpose, that his name might be glorified, that his mission might be fulfilled. God may have a different route for us. We may never visit the city of Antioch or the island of Cyprus, but I can guarantee he has a goal for each of us that we be part of his mission. We can learn a lot from this early mission that we've seen. Would you bow with me? Father God, thank you for what we've learned, for what we've seen. God, I pray that you would help us to seek your will. That we would never harden our hearts and say, God, we don't want to move, we don't want to go, we don't want to listen, we're happy with what we're doing right now. But God, we'd always seek you. 
when you lay out new plans and new things, help us to sacrifice and submit to you. Father, help us to celebrate your sending, whether it is us being sent or others. Lord, help us to be wise in what we do, just as these early apostles followed a strategy that made sense. Father, may we be, um, may be, may you help us to be good at what we do, to be smart and to be wise at what we do. And Father, help us to be willing to serve, to learn from others, and then even to train others as we grow and mature in our faith so that your work might be done. Give us a heart for the people of this world, beginning in our own neighborhood and extending around the globe. Because you love this world, God, help us to love this world, beginning with our neighbor. God, we pray and we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.